is Ethan Fordham. If for anyone who does not know me, uh, I serve as a deacon here at Renovation Church with Miss Elway's just um, just grateful and humbled to uh, be before all of you this morning and to deliver uh, the word of God. 2020 has been a year of staggering uncertainty, right? Like, I don't even need to talk about it, really. We all know what's going on in the world right now. We all face it every single day. Coronavirus swept in like a wave and basically stole an entire year. And for the foreseeable future, we don't even know what's going to happen. Vaccine, herd immunity, all of these things, all of these debates, we don't even know what's going to happen. A presidential debate, a presidential election, just the election season uh, as a whole, the, the partisan politics, the ideological battles back and forth, a lot of people are afraid. Man, if that guy wins, we're all going to die. If that guy wins, maybe we'll all be saved. There's been protests in like every major city in the United States. Some continuing in places like Portland. Just so much unrest because of some worthy causes. Certainly, racial injustice and the like in our nation, but such violent reactions. Some of us are freaked out by them. Being in LA City, I remember uh, the evening of the protest happening there just before the show started in Stanford. Just sitting at home, thinking about what could happen in the next five minutes from where I live right now. In a city like You know, it's not like this is the, these are the only things going on. It's not like 2020 was a perfect year and then all of the sudden things started happening. No, our lives are full of uncertainty, are they not? There are so many things happening in, uh, in each and every one of your lives that was happening way before this political season, way before COVID, way before protests. There was a real struggle. Struggling marriages. Mental health issues. Depression. Where am I going to live? Where am I going to work? Uncertainty about the future. And a lot of people, many of us, are looking for hope in the future. Are we not? Leading up to this passage, our passage this morning, we have seen time and time again the call of Christ to follow him. Follow me. Follow me. Even just last week with Maisie Freeman, we had a, a hasty uh, scribe and a hesitant disciple and Jesus lays out the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. 
what we're seeing and the picture that's growing as we continue in Matthew is that there is, there are unparalleled benefits in following Jesus. That there's no one like him. That he has a unique identity. And this morning, we get a picture of the hope that we have in Jesus. And so our question this morning really is, in what are you hoping? Where are you looking for hope? Where do you find hope? With that in mind, if you would please open up with me to uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. It'll be up on the screens. Flip open your phone uh, or your good paper Bible. (laughs) This is the word of God. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went, and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him. Amen? This is God's word. Leading up to our passage, the last location that we found the disciples and Jesus was in the city, the town of Capernaum. And Capernaum uh, exists in, even still to this day in modern-day Israel in the northern region of modern-day Israel at the northern tip of a sea, the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. And so the sea to which they turned their faces, the one in which, on which they embarked, the one on which the boat left was the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, uh, it's not really that big. It's kind of weird to call it a sea. It's not that big. It's basically a lake. Um, it's, it's approximately 13 miles long uh, and 7 miles wide uh, at its widest point. Um, and it's actually really not much. It's smaller than, than Lake Oneida, right? Like I'm sure many of us have been to Lake Oneida, which it comes in at a whopping 21 miles long and 5 miles. So really, it's just slightly smaller, right, relatively speaking, than Lake Oneida Lake. So Jesus is getting in this boat, and the disciples are following Jesus across this sea. And we read that when they get into the boat, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. The Sea of Galilee is actually kind of, it's kind of interesting. Um, it's subject to these really rapid weather shifts because of the way, uh, the, the temperature of the water and the way the wind takes and it rolls down the 
hillside that surrounds the sea. And so there's all of these battling current temperature changes that causes the water to really uh, change and it cause these uh, weather shifts. Uh, one source said that the, the storm can go from a, a tranquil calm to white foaming crested waves in only about 20 minutes. Pretty quick. It's an interesting storm. It's an interesting sea. And this is the, the situation that uh, our Lord and his disciples found themselves in. They were in a great storm on this sea. Surely we know something of great storms in our lives, don't we? A lot of us remember 2005, Hurricane Katrina coming in and wiping out so much of uh, New Orleans and Louisiana in that area. It left 1,800 people dead and 800,000 homes destroyed. That's staggering. That's powerful. Or uh, in 1998, a storm that, that I am just old enough to remember, 1998, the Labor Day storm here in central New York that hit from uh, like 1 o'clock in the morning to 2 o'clock in the morning, right? Crazy devastation with that as well. I didn't look up all of the details or numbers on that, but I remember vividly being in the truck with my dad, driving around uh, North Road uh, out toward Rochester after that storm. Just seeing trees just fall across roads, on houses. Just devastation. I'm sure many of you have your own stories to tell in regards to that storm. Even Syracuse.com, commenting on the 20th anniversary of it, said that it was as if the, it was the day that God's fist hit Syracuse. So the disciples are in such a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And man, you've got to imagine that they're, that they're freaking out. That they're like kind of losing their minds a little bit. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like some of them are fishermen, right? They, they know storms, but in this moment... There's something about this storm that has them genuinely upset. They were facing uncertainty at best, really death at worst. And in this moment, you've got to wonder, as they must have, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I'm sure some of you feel that way this morning sometimes as you're leaving. Jesus in this moment. And our text says, but he was asleep. Asleep? Asleep? Jesus is sleeping? The the, the storm is raging? The waves are crashing against our faith? We're in fear for life, our lives, and Jesus is sleeping? We can't miss this point, really. This is an incredible point that Jesus is asleep, right? Like, he's not just like a heavy sleeper. His his snoring isn't just louder than the thunder, no. Jesus is sleeping because of who he is, 
and because of who you are in your life. Right? We might we, we find this strange. Jesus is saying, is this really the time to flee? Matthew Henry, the uh, English Puritan commenting on this passage, said, This was a sleep of holy serenity and dependence upon his Father. His sleep, he, he slept to show that he was really and truly man and subject to the sinless infirmities of our nature. His work made him weary and sleepy, and he had no guilt, no flea within, to disturb his repose. Jesus, the Son of God, in his earthly ministry, needed sleep. And in this moment, when the storm raged, he rested peacefully in the hands of his loving Father. Brothers and sisters, we ought to marvel at this fact this morning. In the face of uncertainty and doubt, Jesus slept. Jesus slept. Our God, the God-man Jesus Christ, took sweet rest and a calm spirit in his dilemma. But if we're honest with ourselves, in the face of death and uncertainty, it is easy for us to be asleep. Are you afraid this morning? Are you afraid? Are you worried about your marriage? What your kids are going to do? Right, school, if they're open, they're closed, they're sitting and praying. Maybe you have a pre-existing condition and you're elderly. Right, the coronavirus is a scary and real threat to your life. Are you afraid? Oh, it's easy for us to be afraid. It's so easy for us to be taken up in the storm of our own face of uncertainty, is it not? Man, we really got to consider this point. What or who are you looking to for hope? What and who are you looking to for hope? In verse 26, we read uh, that they, the disciples, went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. This is a worthy prayer, is it not? This is a good prayer. In the face of this disaster, the disciples went to Jesus. Why? Because they knew that he could do something about it. That in the face of this disaster, they went to him. And it was right. It was right that they went to Jesus. Right, we might expect Jesus to uh, kind of hear their cry and just answer immediately, to just come to their aid. But Jesus, rising from his sleep, said to the disciples, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? A rebuke rebuke like the storm is raging it's crashing all around them 
Jesus, they cry out to the one that they knew could do something about it, and Jesus rebukes them. Why are you afraid, oh you of little faith? Their lives are in danger. They rightfully feared, did they not? But Jesus damages them. Right? And fear is sometimes, it is the right response to certain circumstances. It really is. It is not always uh, uh, laced with sin. But, uh, as Calvin put it, commenting on this passage, on this verse, Jesus does not blame them simply because they fear. But rather, why are you so timid? And by this term, indicates that their alarm goes beyond proper bounds. They weren't just fearing. They were fearful. They were timid. They were reacting to these circumstances in overt fear that went beyond it the actual situation in which they were. And really, the reason they feared is they couldn't yet, right? They go to Jesus and they cry for help. But they could not yet see the fullness of the one who could help them. They could not yet see at what length, at what what great immeasurable cost he could help them. Couldn't see it yet. But I'm. Sometimes we react though, right? Towards circumstances like this. Like we get fearful. We're controlled by fear. And I was just, as I prepared for this, reflecting on lots of circumstances in my own life. Uh, in 2013, I'm a baby Christian in 2013. And I was listening to the news a lot at that time, uh, for whatever reason. And it. The, the news was always constant. They were always talking about this fiscal cliff. They're like, we're going to go over the fiscal cliff. And I'm like, they're like telling me to buy gold. And I'm like, what's going to happen when we go over the fiscal cliff? Like, you keep telling me about this. What's going to happen? I'm like, what's going to happen when I go over the fiscal cliff? What's going to happen to me? Am I going to have a job? Should I buy gold? Should I bury it? What's going to happen to me? And the news is like this, right? Man, the news is good at keeping us enslaved to fear. Keeping us enslaved to the uncertainty. And even keeping us enslaved to our hopes. Right? Presidential elections, we see it. This guy or that. That guy. Who's going to end the world? Who's going to save us? Vice versa. The error of the disciples is often our error. They allowed their circumstances to completely shape their response. They did not recognize, they did not see God's careful, wise, and loving control over the situation they were in. Right? Like, they followed Jesus on the boat. Jesus was on the boat with them. They knew Jesus had to wait. 
he must be doing more, right? If the disciples die, that means Jesus is going to die. Clearly, what's happening in Jesus' ministry is going to go beyond what's happening in this story. And yet, death, the fear of death and uncertainty shaped their experience. And they reacted fearfully. They did not see God's loving providence in this situation, in their circumstances. Brothers and sisters, that's just not what Mark is describing. And when we face Rather, not when, but as we are facing these present uncertain circumstances, remember who our Lord is and his ability to bring his church into safe harbors. Lord, save us. We are perishing. This is faith. This is the cry to the one who could do something about their situation. They knew Jesus could do something. But don't be mistaken in the uncertainty of your days. You need more than saving from these uncertain times. More than saving from some presidential election. Even coronavirus. All of the problems we exist that exist in our lives today. Lord, Save us. We are perishing without you. If all Jesus requires of us is to come to him in humble need and dependence, recognizing our utmost weaknesses and his power to save, is that not what faith is? That if I am not grasping onto Jesus, if he lets me go, if anything separates me from his presence, from being with him, from being safe in him, I will perish. That's faith. And that's what Jesus asks. And also, in our weakness, that's what Jesus uses. We don't go to Jesus in strength. We go to him in weakness. Humble dependence. And we come to Jesus in weakness. That pleases the Father. You are weak. You are weak. But you're safe. Let us all turn to him who saved us from the power of if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, for anyone who might be watching and you don't know Jesus, do not be surprised that the world swallows your soul underneath its flesh and spirit. You have no safe anchor without Jesus. No safe harbor for times like this. Also, don't be mistaken that there is a greater here today and you don't know Jesus. 
face of uncertainty and death, it is still the one path to faith, the cross of Christ, the cross of the cross, and the cross Next we read, and this magnificent show of faith, then he arose and rebuked the winds and the seas. And there was a great calm. There was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? Right? Like Jesus doesn't just wake up, correct them, and then go on their way. He doesn't just scold them for their weak faith. No, Jesus shows them in a mighty act, a powerful act, that faith in him is life. And we all know that it takes a little bit for storms to settle down, right? Like, just naturally speaking, it takes a minute for storms to calm. But not here. Not here. Here we get this sense where it's almost like Jesus is rebuking the seas, that the, the ship is coming up on a wave, and then it just calms down. Wow. There was a great storm, but when Jesus rebuked the winds and the seas, there was a great calm. This was a miracle. A miracle Formed by Christ. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this, wrote, Storms sob themselves to sleep through lengthened intervals of fretfulness, right? Like, it just kind of keeps up. It's restless continually for a little while. But when Jesus gives the word of command, the storm is gone at once. There was Disciples are amazed at what just happened. That Jesus just rebuked the winds and the seas with a commanding word, and it stopped. It responded immediately. And the disciples marveled. What sort of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. This is an interesting question. This is a really interesting question, actually. What a question. What sort of man, right? Not just who is this that they did that? Not just, hey, I wonder how he did that. The disciples, they marveled. I wonder how he did that. No. But what sort of man? What kind of man? What is the nature of this man that he can do what he just did? 
And surely the disciples, and I hope as well as the rest of us, know our Old Testament pretty well. Moses parts the Red Sea using the rod, the staff. Joshua leads the Israelites into Canaan, crossing the Jordan with the Ark of the Covenant. Elijah, or Elisha, sorry, Elisha, crosses the Jordan later, and he splits the sea, the, the river, with Elijah's cloak, with his, his garment. They all are using something, things representing God's power. But here, Jesus, he doesn't use anything but his word. He uses nothing but his word. What being exercises control over creation with nothing but words? Surely, God does. Genesis 1, right? God said, and it was. God said, and it was. God said, and it was. God spoke the universe into existence out of nothing. Out of nothing. What sort of man is this? What sort of man is this that can rebuke the sea and it immediately ceases from its raging? It's God. It's Jesus. The Lord. The second person of the Trinity. Indwelling human flesh who stands in the boat with the disciples now, rebuking the winds and the sea, exercising control over his creation. He owns it. It's his. And he tells it what to do. And in this moment, he does that. And he can do it. Why? Because he is eternal God before the foundations of the world who created every last thing. Creation was, uh, everything was made through Christ. The creation is a Trinitarian act of our, our God created by the Father and His Son with the Holy Spirit. And this is who Jesus is, correct? The second person of the Trinity, a dwelling human flesh, exercising control over His creation. Don't be mistaken. Jesus is not just some prophet. Man, and he's definitely not just some good moral teacher. Man, if you're one of people that think, yes, Jesus is a good moral teacher. No good moral teacher is doing this. Not merely a good moral teacher. Man, the disciples recognize this, correct? They marvel. Like, you gotta imagine, like, sort of man is this right like just you know i mean even in i mean in, in mark's parallel account it says the disciples feared they actually feared him what sort of man is this they marvel do you marvel do you marvel at god's wise and sovereign and powerful care over creation in day-to-day life he didn't just set it rolling and then left it there No, even now, God controls creation. And man, it's 
so easy for us to be talked about in certain terms. Think about the death of one in particular one. Is it not? Our circumstances are unique. They certainly are. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus who controlled the winds and the waves in the boat with the disciples in one miraculous act of sovereign power is the Jesus who resides with his church now. Look to Jesus and marvel at his power to preserve your life, to preserve his church. Man, this is good news. This is good news. And this is good news you need to be reminded of often. I wonder if there's someone in your life who can remind you of these things often. Right? Like, like we concentrate, we give our attention so much to the news cycle, to all of the uncertain circumstances in our times, in our days. Don't be surprised that those things disciple you. And they disciple you towards more fear, more uncertainty. No. We need people in our lives who can look in. And as we will, all of us will experience it, as we will eventually feel that fear and that anxiety, there's that person in your life who can say to you, too much attention to the news. You're paying way too much attention to what's going on over here. You're paying way too much attention. Remember Jesus. Be discipled by Jesus. Brothers and sisters, be in a relationship with someone like that. Not just to receive it either, but to give it. So when someone comes to you and they're overwhelming them, you can say, brother, sister, remember Jesus. Hope in Jesus. We have a sure and unshakable confidence because of who he is. What good news. And what good news your neighbors need as well. We're not the only people. We're, we're not the only people uncertain about the future. Man, your unbelieving coworkers, friends, neighbors, family, they're also scared and they're frightened without an answer. Give them Jesus. Show them that their biggest need isn't even these present things, that their biggest need is salvation from sin and from death and from God's wrath against it. Hoping in Jesus. True hope is found in Jesus alone. This world will pass away, but our God lives forever. The hope that is perishing is no hope at all. Let us marvel at who Jesus is and the hope we have in him. 
2020 has been a year of stagnant uncertainty. You're facing a lot. We're all facing a lot. Everyone's facing a lot. But take heart, Christian. Jesus is the Lord, the maker, sustainer, same Jesus who was in the boat with his disciples, the same Jesus who controls the seas, is the Jesus who faithfully abides with his church. A people, we are people with hope. And it's in Jesus. Man, we look forward to better days, do we not? We look forward to better days. There won't be another election. The vote will be There will not be another pandemic. For death will be no more. Neither will there be pain or crying anymore. Because Jesus, the elder, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And he's chosen us. We do look forward to better days, do we not? In that day, We will live with our God forever. And there will be calm. There will be peace. There will be rest. Praise God this morning. In the face of uncertainty and death, we have a sure hope. Because Jesus is Lord over creation. Amen. Our Lord and God, we do come to you in Jesus' name. And God, we confess our need for you. We confess our need for your wise providence and caring and loving hand on our lives. Our Lord, in your infinite, gracious, loving power on your church, God, give us hope. Give us rest. Help us to trust you that when we face those circumstances, as we inevitably will, our trust is in you. Father, increase our trust in Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. Move in us and give us a confident and unshakable hope. We do pray these things Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's stand and respond.